Welcome to the Future of Protein Production Podcast. In this series, we will explore the technological advancements that are shaping alternative proteins. From cultured meats to plant-based proteins, we will talk to experts and innovators who are working towards a more sustainable, efficient, and kind protein production system. Join us as we dive into the exciting possibilities and challenges of the alternative protein production industry in the years to come. Hi, everyone. Eric Amundsen here, co-founder at Vevolution. Uh, Vevolution is the leading plant-based and cell ag investment marketplace. Super happy to be here today to be facilitating this wonderful panel, people who um, are really leading the innovation in the cold cut space. And it's really, we're discussing this potentially holy grail for alternative meats, um, with whole cuts being indistinguishable from that of traditional meats. In this session, we will hear from the companies that are solving the challenges faced by um, uh, companies getting alternative whole cuts to consumers. Um, so again, I'm honored to moderate today's webinar and happy to have our uh, panel introduce themselves today. And uh, I'll go through and uh, bring in our, our, our panelists, um, quite a different variety of experts. Um, so I'll go through and have each of everyone introduce themselves and say hello. Um, Dominic, do you want to say hello first? Yeah. My name is Dominic Sogrobinski. I'm a father of two, grandfather of one for three months. So I'm a happy grandfather. Uh, created, you know, created nowadays after having spent 30 years in the ingredient space, so pretty knowledgeable about the meat and the dairy, uh, the entire value chain. Uh, and wanted to create so nowadays to, uh, to make something that is differentiated from what large corporation was doing. So doing something that nourish people, that it's, uh, that mimic what is meat is in terms of all cuts, but it not, it need to be as tasteful and, uh, as a, as tasteful as a uh, resemblance to meat, being able to be scalable in the same production line. And uh, so lastly, at the price of the meat, this is with all the parameters that are going to allow us to, uh, change the way the meat is sold and switch it to plant-based for everybody. Thanks, Dominic. And we have Mark Eric from Gelatex. Hi everybody, greetings from Estonia. Uh, so uh, my background is in material science, uh, developed nanofibrios materials for past seven years. And that what we're doing at Shellatex is that we're producing those high performing materials on industrial scale, which enable a structured cell-based meat to become a reality because yeah, cell-based meat is industrial uh, a tissue engineering, which has never been done before, and uh, key technologies need to be invented to make it uh, turn it into reality. And this is exactly what we're doing at Shellatex. We're fixing that how to structureize the cell-based meat products. Thanks. You're muted, Eric. Uh, and uh, we have Martin, who um, was just discussing. Um, uh, with our la with our last presentation. Thanks, Eric. Yeah, I, I won't take too long because I already introduced myself in the in the previous session. But uh, my name is Martin. I'm half French, half German. Currently in Paris. Um, 
and I co-created Nyami, where we basically have a different approach to protein texturization in order to create whole muscle pieces. Thanks, everyone. Uh, we will be covering a different array of, of topics today. Uh, we're hoping to cover um, technical solutions, reaching the commercial market, um, current market conditions, maybe some white spaces, and some consumer behavior. So I'll be going through some of the questions that we have. We do have one other panelist who will be joining in a second. I'll be sure to uh, give give her some space to, to say hello when we get to that. But um, I'll actually skip down and start with Mart Eric. Um, you you actually pitched Jellitex, um to Small Evolutions investors back in May of 2021. And I really remember your pitch being really technical and a bit advanced, I feel like, for <laughs> maybe everyone you speak to at the time, uh, you know, more than a year ago, it was, it was, it was, you know, advanced. Um, can you tell us a bit more about how Gelatex is solving a key problem? You know, there are many problems for the alternative protein future. And what are your partners saying about some of our barriers to consumer adoption? Sure. Uh, yeah, what we're doing at Shalitex is we're building a future of uh, meat alternatives, right? And uh, now our approach or or the, the in the let's say sub industry, we're helping to um, uh, helping to pu push forward this cell based meat. So it's a means how to create the animal based uh, or animal meat without the need of an animal. And again. Like I said, it's industrial tissue engineering, which has never been done before. It is complex. It is complex, and that's why <laughs> uh, that's why it might uh, uh, be technical. But uh, actually, it is. If you if you're in the field, it's uh, become really simple. And then what we are doing at Shelltex is really bringing those materials that were inaccessible before now to the uh, now to the scales, which. Uh, yeah, makes sense to uh, use these materials to produce food. Um, so regarding the acceptance, I mean, the huge, uh, there is a huge, uh, uh, there has been a huge progress with how the culture meat uh, products are evolving in terms of price, in terms of scale. We're seeing a uh, acceptance from uh, both from customer uh, customers and also by investors, governments, Basically, there are so many regions where uh, regulations are being developed at the moment and, and hope to have first uh, regulations come up uh, in in US as well. Um, regarding the, um, so our, I, ca I can say that we have around 67 pilots going on in, at the moment in the cell-based meat industry. Uh, we uh, we have some very successful pilot results, um, which I can't uh, go into details. But because um, our main mission is to help the whole industry to solve the scaffolding and functional material problems, uh, I think we're doing fairly well uh, in that sense. So uh, yeah, help helping the structured cell-based meat to become a reality. Perfect. Thanks, Martin Eric. Um, and over to Dominic. Um, you know, what are some of the some of the discussions that the team nowadays are having regarding consumer behavior? Um, you know, we have quite a few barriers um, to get to our our shelves competitive. 
similar to what we see with plant-based milk, uh, which Martin had had mentioned on his presentation before. Um, uh, so what are some of those um, discussions? What are the things that, that we're working on, whether it's taste and texture or scaling production? Can you walk us through kind of what your team's perspective is? I think there are several levels here. And uh, first of all, you know, the when you see what is currently on the market and when people start to read, you know, the uh, the ingredient list, they're just questioning if the product gets, maybe it's more sustainable because it doesn't contain animals, so it's environment friendly or animal friendly. But do I want to eat a product that contains, you know, 25 or 30 ingredients and some of it it's all weird and are not found in this type of product, especially when it's produced from, from, from regular meat. So the perception is, is that product healthy for me and good for me? Secondly, I think there is a, of course, the taste and bite component, you know, that you have in the piece of meat and you don't find if it's grounded and re-glue and re-stick products altogether. Uh, this is one. And then you have the behavior of the product when it's arriving on the table or it's in the kitchen, because if you don't, because you have to remember that, you know, only part of the food, especially in the U.S., it's served, you know, uh, it's sold in retail. The biggest part of food is sold in, uh, so in food services where people are going to eat something that needs to be prepared, needs to be tasteful, juicy and tasteful. And this is one of the barriers with what we found with our current product that's more very dry. They're arriving on the table very dry and not warm anymore. It's, it's when you it's when you're able to add that juiciness and flavor and flavor and juiciness inside of this piece of meat. It's holding the temperature longer. And it's even good when it's cold. And this is a big difference compared to the regular product. And so it's why we we just want to develop a product that is very simple in ingredients. And when I heard Martin six ingredients, this is exactly what I would like to be a bit less than ten ingredients that you that you can read. Uh, we want to avoid to add sugars, uh, sugars and, and blend and, and biters, et cetera, that, you know, that normally you sh should not find in the whole cuts of meat. And at the same time, we want to have the customer and the consumer experience at home or in food service that it's the same as a piece of meat. I think these are very important parameters to crack the, uh, uh, to crack the shelf and to grow much faster comparable to the meat. Last point I want to add here, I hate to re reinvent the, uh, the wheel. They are very efficient companies so in the world, and I think milk is one of them. And the way milk is produced, because every dairy, fresh dairy plant can produce plant-based milk from day one to day two. And if you're able to do the same with the uh, finishing line of the meat industry, so creating the piece of meat that could go in the same industry, we are in the... Uh, we are in the winning position because we are going to scale much faster and a lower price as well. So being able to create this piece of meat that replaces milk or replaces meat, this is where we should go. It's an excellent point. And um, uh, Martin, you thanks for your, your presentation to start us off today. Uh, it was great. And will creating the fiber structure of meat, you know, does that really unlock further adoption of alternative proteins, you know, do we accomplish, you know, from that, uh, structure, do we then accomplish scalability and accessibility to more people? And can you kind of elaborate, um, from there? I hope it really does. Right. Because in the end, um, people who eat that many burgers, you know, a week or a month, uh, people only eat that many hot dogs a week or, or a month. Right. 
So, you know, it's really important that in order to be able to, to drive our mission, um, that we are able to provide plant-based products that, you know, really match the experience of every single piece of meat. And once we do that, well, then, you know, when consumer goes into a grocery store and he finds a chicken breast, uh, an animal chicken breast, he knows that you also have the plant-based version and so on and so forth. It's, it's definitely not the only thing, right? And I totally agree with everything Dominic has said on, on, you know, what's needed in order to drive consumer adoption, but for sure you need to have an offer that's wide enough and, and that actually in the end as wide as, as animal protein. And, and Martin, Eric mentioned, um, you know, cell-based products, but Martin, you know, how can plant-based companies be a part of the upcoming, you know, whole cut wave? Is, is there any examples that come to mind and, you know, is there anything else that they can do to kind of create, uh, you know, this winning product for their portfolio? It, 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 I think that's a very, very important question because, you know, a, a lot of plant-based startups are having a tough time currently in retail as, you know, uh, growth, especially in the US, is kind of slowing down as VC money is becoming more scarce. And, uh, you know, the companies that have a relatively low level of differentiation are currently, you know, facing facing difficult times. And then if you add on top of that, the fact that 2023 and 2024 will really be the years of, of whole muscle pieces and, and really the years where we'll see, uh, you know, large quantities of of or large availability of whole muscle pieces, well, you know, it'd be even harder for these companies to survive and actually even hard for any company who's still stuck in, in the TVP um, conundrum to, 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 to further expand. And so they really need, you know, I think it's it, every company really has to think of how they're going to make a move in their whole cut space. And I think it doesn't really make sense, as, as Dominic said, to reinvent the wheel into um, for every company to do R&D and to really develop what other companies are developing. Now, as, as this industry matures, it's becoming more and more like any other industry and industry where companies specialize in a piece of the value chain. And it doesn't make sense that one company, you know, uh, does on one hand ingredients, creates from scratch processing technologies, uh, creates all the branding around it and the sales to retail and the whole supply chain, right? It's totally inefficient. So today, um, you know, it's it's really a matter of cooperating, of creating, you know, a philosophy of open innovation and working with partners that can provide with those technologies. That's, you know, the, the reason why Miami, we exist at all is, is to provide the right solutions in terms of whole muscle pieces to everyone because we think, you know, we've seen how hard it is to get there and how many tens of millions it costs to 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 make it happen. And I assume if you're the size of a really large CPG companies, hundreds of millions to actually scale it to the right production levels. And it makes no sense to do for every company to do that uh, on their own. Uh, you know, let's join forces basically. Um, and and question maybe to to the three of you and um, Martin. Still, you feel free to jump in first, but. You know, do is there a sense that whole cut may be the last frontier? You know, or are there further developments in other areas that need that we need to full, fully develop the market? Um, and 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 maybe there's just different 
steps, right? Maybe it's not this last frontier, but it's just like a version one, version two, and um, maybe it goes beyond structure. But is there anything beyond whole cuts that that you three have on your mind? There are a lot of things, if I, if I may. There are uh, there's price parity. Now, you know, the current context around inflation makes it way easier for uh, plant-based companies to reach price parity because, you know, uh, inflation is, is much stronger on uh, animal products than it is on plant-based products, but still, it, it is a big topic. Um, and after price parity of even actually being, you know, cheaper than uh, animal protein, there is, I think, a lot still to be done around flavoring, and especially for... Uh, red meat products because you know chicken has kind of like a a plain taste so it's not too easy, too hard to mimic but when it comes to beef that's extremely hard to mimic in a, in a uh, convincing way and and very few companies are really there to be honest and then there is and Dominic really mentioned it a clean labeling you got to be able to do all that but you also got to be able to do it with just a couple of ingredients and with nutritionals that are at least as good as that of meat right and if you can't do of course, it's not going to happen overnight, but if you can do all that at the same time, then, you know, you're going to lose consumers at some point. Bart, Eric, Dominic. Yeah, and let me to add to what Martin said, and I think, uh, so I would say it's a lot to do, but, you know, a lot to do in version and improvement of what of what on this piece of muscles. I think it's... Uh, and I love this panel here because, you know, we can basically cover the entire market of meat in a way because it's different size, shapes, uh, different types of meat, etc. So this is great. But uh, what I think what we reach with what we did is the ability to plug in an industry, in existing industry and finishing line. And so it means it's why Martin was saying, don't read, yes, it's uh, use, use the current very efficient existing line partner with them, be the meat producer, because it's exactly the way the meat industry is done. It's slaughterhouses, uh, they are, uh, they are make, making piece of meat and this, and, and this piece of meat or sheep, you know, to finishing right. We just need to plug in. So economic needs here, faster scaling, uh, and then the adoption is going to be easier because basically this piece of finished meat made from plant can be sold by the same company but they're currently selling meat, uh, so they they can make a much broader and faster offer to the market. But still, a yeah. lot of you on the flavor part, on the on the on the juiciness, on the aspect. So, of course, a lot to do. But I think the bases are already here. Agreed totally with uh, what Martin and Dominic said. Uh, definitely, one of the things is, I mean, cell-based meat. What next? Uh, because uh, there are some, there are fundamental limitations with cell-based meat, but there are fundamental limitations with uh, plants, uh, plant-based meat alternatives. Um, uh, but yeah, with cell-based meat, unlocking or the advancement in science has uh, led us to here now when we are going to set, uh, grow, we're going to grow cells for the food. And this opens up a variety of new options, which weren't possible before. Uh, the achieving price parity, I mean, with cell-based meat is an even tougher challenge, but it's, we will get there, uh, especially with uh, novel technologies that are introduced basically in a uh, in monthly basis. We're seeing so many great things emerging, novel ways how to 
how to reduce the cost of growth media, how to uh, how to reduce the cost of bioreactors. So this is a fundamental challenge in uh, in not fundamental challenge, but challenge uh, to be to be solved in cell based area. Uh, but what we're next, I would think like, like beyond meat. So products that are actually better than meat, uh, why we need to actually, we start thinking why we need to mimic the meat. Ultimately, if we forget that meat even exists, right, we can create with plant-based, with cell-based alternative technologies, products that actually taste better than meat that are, you know, nutritional profile can be better than meat. So I, I think that the next huge leap is uh, better products than meat. Why why we're so stuck with meat? Something that that you know um, <clears throat> I've, I've I've discussed with different founders as far as this this mindset of creating something that's just simply better, right? And 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 not something that's mimicking or or an alternative to. And maybe that's uh, a mindset that has taken a long time to grasp. So appreciate that point. I wouldn't want to continue the discussion without addressing the current market. I think it's um, important and there's, you know, hopefully some um, entrepreneurs and startups here who we can provide a few, a few um, um, tidbits of information to. Um, and certainly ESG investing isn't immune to the economic downturn. Uh, reports from Food Navigator are, are saying that, you know, um, um, plant-based industry as a whole experienced an average of 30% year-over-year growth in 2019 and 2020, and the alternative meat category slowed uh, to a flat a little bit year-over-year uh, in 2021. Um, and at the evolution and across other um, you know, investment channels, there certainly is a slow as far as investment activity, uh, but still some appetite for you know some of the early stage opportunities and pre-seed. Um, and certainly some of the white spaces that exist. But uh, the question that I have to you for the panel, um, you know, what advice or support can you offer to startups and innovators in our audience as they face, you know, these challenges with these current market conditions? And what have you experienced? You know, what are you hearing from 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 your investors? Um, you know, um, and just in general, you know, any words of support or um, or strategies that you're kind of considering? Yeah, maybe I can open up here. Um, definitely one of the things to keep in mind is elaborate how you're different. I think that this uh, whole industry is getting really crowded, as Martin and Dominic both said. Um, definitely, like, I think what we need is advancements, not just let the I market a product differently, and this is how I'm different from my competitors. But we re need real fundamental um, differentiation, like differences between the products. And I think, um, I mean, we already see uh, some great examples uh, of these completely novel solutions that are emerging in the space. Uh, regarding fundraising, yeah, it's uh, well depends on the sector, I would say a little bit, uh, but one of the things that I keep hearing is that it's quite tough to find a lead investor who is going to, uh, who is going to take responsibility for the whole round, uh, co-lead, uh, systems tend to work out better where you have two lead investors in, uh, in the round, 
um, and it's quite easy to find actually when once you have lead in place, it's quite easy to find followers. That's what I have heard. Yeah. If you if you allow that, I'm going to jump in here. I think you're perfectly right that you need to be differentiated from the other, but you need to bring a solution that is different from the others, and this solution needs to be defendable and differentiated. But at the same time, when you hear, you know, the big, uh, the big, you know, uh, food group, you know, that want to be in 2026 or or 2030 by 40 percent, you know, of their market or their sales need to be plant based, and some of them are struggling how to reach these volumes because there's no current solution uh, that are wanted by the consumer to make that happen. So it's why I think that. Uh, so these people need to have partners to achieve this, this goal. So, so I do think that at the stage when you have a differentiation technology and something that works, strategic partner that or industrial partner can be more interesting so right now because they can allow us to scale faster and to go and to reach this market together with them. Uh, so it's not it's not only about the money that they can bring, but but also all the value chain and all the uh, and all the knowledge that they can bring to you in order to scale faster. Uh, so it depends at what stage you are in the development. I do think that there are strategic so investor right now who have money, who have printed money in the last year, and who are looking for solutions that they help their partners to reach their target. We, there are a lot of different organizations and, um, you know, support structures that are out there, right? Um, you know, for example, Cargill, um, we, we, unfortunately, it sounds like one of our panelists couldn't connect today. Um, but can you, can you all kind of dive into maybe some of the organizations or, uh, people who have been able to support innovators and support your scale, um, whether they were, maybe some that we have all heard of, or, or maybe someone that you didn't expect who's come along and kind of become a collaborator. Um, and, and, and how have you kind of been able to develop that relationship? I can jump into that. Uh, in our seed round, one of our major investors was Standard Meat. So it's a very old family owned uh, meat producer in Texas. So you can imagine now how meat is called to a business. And when they saw how much meat you can produce from a square footage, from a small square footage at the cadence and the price you can produce it, and they just imagined how you can use this piece of meat in their finished product, they said, this is where, this is where I should be. So it's why they, you know, they put, yes, close to a million dollars in our previous round. And these are strategic partners for us because they are already producing for the, uh, for the for the food industry for the uh, for the food service, but I think you should you should see how you can align with the strategy of this company who need to shift from meat to something different. And Cargill is part of it. And I think I saw Tasha for a second. No, that's a great example. Any um, anything else from Martin or Mark Eric as far as you know collaborators that you've had or or other organizations. I can jump in and, and answer that this one. So, you know, to us, it's been very, very important to really focus on what we know how to do best with it, which is that, you know, protein texturization uh, technologies and not to 
move as Dominic uh, said before, reinvent the wheel. So, you know, we've partnered with companies all along the value chain, you know, before us and after us in order to make that happen. So for instance, you know, the fact that we're developing, um, you know, alternate um, uh, protein texturization technologies also meant that current uh, flavor solutions weren't really like adapted because they were solutions that hadn't created for extrusion with a wet or dry. So, uh, you know, we signed contracts with uh, flavor houses and we actually created very, very strong relationship uh, to, to one of them uh, in order to be able to tweak their own technologies and, and, and make it applicable to ours. Um, you know, then we also decided to be a B2B company in order not to uh, spend all of our money into sales and marketing because other companies do that much better than we do. And so we partner with existing food brands and G brands to bring our products to the end consumer, right? So, you know, in, in a, in a, um, in an industry where the overall landscape is becoming more and more complex with more and more technologies and then where it's not just, you know, as it used to be, you know, uh, taking TVPs, putting them in, uh, you know, existing tools and technologies and, and selling them to the end where it's, where it's more complex than that today. And you have much more, many more things happening. It's very important, I think, to focus on what we're good at and and really drive value there. Completely agreed. Uh, food so really relevant in cell-based space, where I mean, cell-based uh, meat is a huge. It's a very complex problem. It can't be solved by one company, and that's why the experts in different fields need to work together to uh, to solve to help to solve that. And we see that in the cell-based meat industry, there is a lot of collaboration between experts in different fields, and uh, this is something that we are pushing really heavily is uh, that I mean we are we don't do exclusivities we help we want to help the whole industry to solve the scalping problem in our case but we see this kind of mentality uh, actually everywhere to some level um, but I think it's really really important in order to solve major challenges thanks everyone and um <clears throat> We have our last panelist, Tasha, who has joined us. So I think she'll be able to provide a few a few points that kind of tie tie the tie the bow here. Um, Tasha, I, I was hoping you could introduce yourself and then tell us a little bit about how Cargill is helping to create an ecosystem that strengthens some of these technologies we've been discussing. I think we may have some technical difficulties. Oh, we lost her. Um, <laughs> um, well, maybe any final touches on the uh, kind of ecosystem conversation? And then I have a, a few final questions for the panel, and then we can also turn to the Q&A. Any exciting updates that anyone can tell us about as far as, you know, unbelievably we're getting to the end of, uh, the end of the quarter toward the end of the year, um, any exciting company updates, uh, or, 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 um, exclusive news that, that anyone's willing to, uh, tease about. One thing I would like to share that, you know, we all plant in New York in, uh, uh, so in the plant base, uh, 
in the plant-based expo and we are presenting our cutlet and tender so you see how big we can produce from extrusion and by the end of the year we want to produce to some of our key partner a cutlet that's seasonal so it means a cutlet that you know that you can take from your fridge can finish the way you want to finish to cook it on the plant shop and to season it so it's a, it's also showing though the diversity and the broad of where we can do of what we can and what we invented how to make from low moisture extrusion because you know low moisture extrusion you can make crop but you know if you, if you know how to use that tool and and so and and you have a patented so technology that we had created you can kind of create some very nice piece of meat with the fiber and the aspect of a piece of meat and the bite of a piece of meat Yeah, I can go next. Uh, yeah, there are some definitely some interesting developments to that is happening, which I, I can't share at the moment, but we will share within uh, two months uh, in, on different events as well, which will be participating in the cell cell act space. Mm, but uh, what I can leave up here is that we are starting fundraising again. So, yeah, if you're interested, reach out. To shell at things. I know we are walking every day of the year. No, <laughs> no way. <laughs> Sorry, Martin. Interrupt. No, not to worry. Not to worry. As is actually just going to say that um, sadly, the kind of news that's been happening this summer, I, I can't share because there those are like sales contracts that we signed, and until the product is on the market, I can't tell you to whom we whom we've sold it. But I'd say that generally speaking, we've um you know we've made a lot of progress in terms of our our european expansion so i'm i'm very happy about that all i hear is progress among some of the difficult times that we're in and you know all of these things although it may just be you know this group of people who are here today that means um you know a lot of change is happening and on the way so so congrats to all of you and excited to, to see what's next um there are a few questions and I have a few questions. So we have, um, about 10 minutes remaining. So we'll, we'll see how we get to, um, some of these. Um, I, you know, I think, you know, one of a really good question actually, um, um, from, uh, Xu Wong, uh, said, it's my understanding that one of the reasons as to why plant-based meats do not taste like real meat is due to the lack of true animal fat um any of the panelists want to touch on that as far as you know would cultivated animal fat be a welcome solution to plant-based meats i can say that the, they're in cell-based uh, industry there are multiple players who are focusing get exactly solve that problem to operate fats just for uh into different products animal based uh, sorry um animal pets uh that is cell-based uh structured pets i can say this is this can be done as well and just a reminder if you have any questions um you can add those to the q a chat um no questions or bad questions as i always say um there was one earlier in the chat um and it's been interesting because there's been a lot of um uh, shifting in this and in, in the news and we've seen some of this and um, maybe this is 
a reason why this this question why this may succeed further down the road but you know what are what are your thoughts on some of the big fast food chains and their appetite for plant-based alternatives and i guess i'll add to that question as far as you know maybe do some of those relationships uh see some more success you know with whole cut products we've seen some of the you know largest you know names in the space have kind of um um how, how do you say it politely you know <laughs> uh, uh not the not the most long-standing um you know contracts with some of the um chains that are out there i would even say that some of these uh plant-based producer had spent millions in order to be you know for several weeks with these uh with these people you know live so and i don't think it's a way to go there uh I do think it's rather what Martin was saying as well is how we can produce, how we can become a B2B producer and not a finished good producer. Because all, more, many of these chains also want to have their own product, their own trick, their own breading, their own you know, finishing of the product. So we need to be the meat producer and we need to, to partner with them to scale and not to be the uh, branded product that arrived you know, on, the, on the table of uh, McDonald's. I don't think it's going to work. Martin, anything from you on the um, on any of those first two questions? No, I mean I can only agree uh, to your uh, Dominic to what Dominic has uh, has just said. Um, I don't I don't think the way in is to pay whatever customer it is, you know, millions and millions directly or indirectly. In order to get into the menu, if you do that, it's it, that your product is not competitive enough by itself, right? So it's then a matter of, of you know, taste. It's a matter of pricing, uh, whatever it is. But but you need to get a product that is differentiated and good enough so that by itself it can get into the hands of your customer. Maybe I would just ha uh, add that the food is. I mean, it's really emotional uh, topic. Uh, so, I mean, this is just, uh, inherent and we can change that, but at the same time, uh, I, I think that the products should sell themselves rather than that you invest a lot of into marketing just to get something out there. And Dominic and Martin, uh, just a follow up on, on that first question is generally, is there anything that, you know, any progress or, um, you know, any work that you've kind of been focusing on regarding um, you know, the fat in your product and, and, and improving that portion of, of what you're working on. You want to start, Matt? Yeah, sure. Um, it's really, it's an important topic and it's often not the first topic, uh, companies are going to look at. And here again, you know, the approach we chose was, you know, we're not a fad company, so we're not going to reinvent this ourselves. Uh, it's not just what we and focus on and what we're good at that other companies do it much better than we do. So we worked with a, a, a fat company, so a company that's really specialized in that. And they actually uh, created a fat that is, on one hand, extremely clean labels, so uh, relatively low in saturated fat, uh, simple ingredients, and also has a very, very good delivery, right? So what I want to say is, again, here, I agree it's a, it's a big topic. Fat, uh, usually underestimated because people think flavor, perhaps texture, 
and and that's it right when it comes to product delivery but fatty extremely important as well but i would say again here uh you know let's not reinvent everything ourselves focus on what we're good at and partner with those companies that are specialized in fat and they will eventually find the good solutions for you exactly so and i think we need uh we don't need to re so yeah so reinvent the fat but how we can incorporate the fat in our in our texture structure and 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 when I was talking about the that cotton that's going to sizzle, contain fat inside of it. So it's uh, so it's something that uh, you will see on the market next year. So there are solutions. We are working on that intensively. I cannot share more right now, but yes, it's uh, it's going to be one of the improvement because it's a uh, part of the flavor. It's coming from the fat itself. Final question for you all. I think it's an interesting one. Um, you know, Dominic, you mentioned, um, you know, having, you know, having some partnership with, um, you know, with a meat company, uh, or investment, you know, from the meat, the, the, the animal agriculture industry, um, you know, to everyone, uh, Martin and Mark, Eric, as well as, you know, have you had those conversations with, um, those similar companies as well? You know, how does that framing change, right? When you're talking to these mission aligned um, you know, investors, uh, and partners who are dedicated to the space. And then all of a sudden you have to click, I mean, I would think you're, you're, you're switching your, um, you know, the strategy when you're talking to the animal agriculture industry, whether they be investors or partners. So just curious if anyone else has had any, whether they're investors or just partners or, or collaborators of any kind, if anyone has any, um, first stories of, of how that's gone. Um, and then second, um, any advice um, on, on navigating that? Yeah, I, if I, I can take that one if, if, if you want. Um, it's a very tough one, especially when you're when you're in B two B. Because and I'll give you the example. I'm a vegetarian. My co-founder Tristan is a vegan. He's been for six or seven years. He was actually raised by by a family of trophy hunters, uh, butchers, and and his uncle has like ten thousand cows in Argentina, right? So he's very, very sensitive about these topics because you know how how meat industry works. And at the same time, um, you know, as a B2B company, we work actually with meat companies who have a plant-based um, business line. And so you know, we can be too vocal about it, right? We can be too vocal about it, about our our you know our mission. Uh, I would say. Uh, so it's, it, it can be kind of frustrating, but in the end, you know, I see it as a, as a good thing because, you know, it, it's when meat companies actually also start to sell plant-based products that, you know, they're going to become mainstream, right? Because in the end, they already have like those strong established brands and sales network. And today they are the mainstream products, right? So they need also to be the one to help uh, make the products mainstream. And so I guess it like, it caused us to be a little bit less vocal about it be able to work with companies that have a much larger impact and much larger, you know, sales of plant-based products. And if it allows us to help, you know, meat companies reduce the part of meat in their PNL, then, you know, uh, I guess it's a, a price we can pay. Really quick. Okay. Uh, sorry, please. Okay. Really quickly, we, uh, with always, with every industry, when there is a change uh, and all technologies emerge, 
as a whole player, you either start fight against it or you know adopt it. And we see what I mean in the college in the in the meat market in the meat industry. What is the most novel approach is cell based meat, and we're seeing that even the large, large, lot one of the largest meat producers in the world are adopting cell based technologies today. Mm-hmm. So that should answer this question. I think it's all about mission. I think, you know, you have a company like Danone who became, you know, the largest plant-based milk producer in the world. Uh, and they become, because there was a mission, there was the uh, target that was set by the CEO of the company. I think some of these companies in the meat space are understanding the same. So I, so, so it's why I don't think there's a different discussion between venture capital and partners like this. I think the, I think it's what do we want to create and what do we want to create at scale and how do we want to change the world and the way the people are eating. And when, and when we understand that it's not because you are going to take animals from the table that you're going to be successful. And this is not that message only. And my partner is a very, very big animal advocate. I'm, I'm more on the nutritional part because I know that food can be a poison or can be something good. So, yeah, it's why I think that w- you need to bring to the industry to show, yes, to bring to the meat industry solution that they can use and they can scale. And if these people are wise enough, if they want to survive and don't want to be the dinosaur, they will adopt the solution. We are at time. I do appreciate that, that final thought, Dominic. I think that's a great way to, to, to wrap here today. So truly a great conversation to bring together many areas of expertise. It's a, it's a, it's a great array of, of, of talent and, and skills. Um, and so talking about the, the idea of whole cuts from novel sources. So um, just want to thank everyone for being here, for our panelists and our audience. Um, again, we're over, uh, Eric here over at Vevolution. If you're uh, a startup raising capital or if you're an investor looking for amazing companies uh, like these three here to invest in, uh, please reach out and um, I'll leave it to the future protein production team to uh, say hello and give their final thoughts as well. You're on mute. You're muted. <laughs> It'll never get old. <laughs> and thank you very much to, to all of our speakers today. No, absolutely. You're on mute is probably the, the, the quote of the year for sure. So, um, no, it was a really good session. Um, we all very much enjoyed it. Um, I, I do have to say the, the apologies from Tasha who had um, trouble joining, but um, if any of the attendees are, are looking to get in touch with her, then um, please do drop her a message on the platform or um, we'll include her, her email address in the, in the wrap-up email as well. Um, so just a, a final word from me is um, this will, of course, the recordings will be available on the platform for 30 days, as, as we mentioned at the start. So you'll be able to access this in the, in the next half an hour or so. Um, and feel free to get in touch with us regarding any of our upcoming webinars, our summits, or our magazine that's coming out in October. Thank you for listening to the Future of Protein Production Podcast. We hope you gained valuable insights and knowledge about the innovative technologies and practices that are transforming the way we produce protein. Don't forget to subscribe to Protein Production Technology International, our multimedia magazine, and follow us on social media to stay up to date with the latest news and updates. Stay tuned for more exciting episodes.